0: Surge Spotlight. We're here, we're here to, talk to talk about things, things involving tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to Surge Spotlight, our podcast that aims to promote curiosity and excitement within the tech community. My name is Jeffrey Leung. I'm the part time radio host of SFU Surge Spotlight. And today we're joined here by Alex Land. He graduated from SFU in 2017. He studied software systems while he was there and right now he's actually working as a software developer at riot games in los angeles riot games if you didn't know is the developer of league of legends the biggest game in the world pretty much so alex how are you doing
1: i'm pretty good um thanks for the introduction Uh, i i had the document ahead of time and i still didn't correct it to say i actually graduated in 2018 but It's okay. Off by one errors are a classic computer science mistake. So okay. I'm I'm counting from zero.
0: (laughs) 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 So uh, the question on everyone's minds right now, how are you handling the quarantine? Um,
1: It's it's not too bad. Uh, I'm pretty lucky that uh, Riot has been really accommodating and letting everyone work from home. Uh, So my workflow hasn't changed too much. Not being in the office is a little bit funky, but I think I've gotten used to it in some ways. Um, There's maybe a little bit more work around the house, uh, preparing food and stuff a little more frequently than I used to. But uh, overall, it's been pretty good. Um, And I'm lucky enough to have uh, my girlfriend staying with me, and she has a dog. So we'll go out for walks and stuff that kind of helps break up the day and get you to do something. So that's kind of keeping me sane, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, getting some rest and getting outside helps a lot during the social isolation. Um, For sure. So, what is it actually like working at Riot Games then?
1: Uh, <laughs> I I like it a lot. Um, I think um, I think it's a blast. Honestly, I I really enjoy the team that I'm on and and the people that I work with. Um, and I think one of the things that makes it really fun is that there's a lot of um, a lot of challenges and a lot of resourcing to kind of help you conquer them. Um, so I never feel like I'm kind of stuck in a rut. It feels like there are some really hard days and you kind of go back at it the next day and you help find a solution or you ask for help and someone can help you get there. And you're like always moving forward, always growing. And so that combined with the fact that like working at a video game company is kind of a personal dream of mine come true, uh, makes it, makes it really exciting for me. So I enjoy it a lot.
0: That's great. I can't even imagine what, What that's like working at a company at that scale and teams moving that quickly and being (laughs) able to survive in such a challenging environment what kind of team are you on right now
1: uh i'm on um i'm on the central data team at riot so there's a there each game team has uh their own little pod of people that works on on data so that's like uh, telemetry in the game that sends events saying that uh you know if you're playing league oh, you bought this item or you picked this champion in Champ Select uh, or, if, you know, you're playing like Legends of Runeterra, like, oh, you played this card or whatever the thing is. Uh, and so those teams work on the games themselves. And then as a central team, we kind of handle the infrastructure that deals with ingesting all of that data and putting it somewhere so that people can use it. Uh, and so that process turns out to be a lot more difficult than it sounds because of things like the scale of the data and having really high reliability and uh, making sure that it's timely. Like when the data sent from a game, we can then read it on the other side relatively quickly uh, and things like that. And so there's like a, a lot of work that goes into making that infrastructure good um, that my team is involved with uh, and, and keeping it stable and stuff like that.
0: That sounds like an incredibly complex problem. Where does all that data go? What does what happens with it?
1: Um, I, there's a lot of things. Um I, I think maybe one of the reasons that big data is a little bit of a buzzword and a meme is because there's so much that can happen with it. Uh, and so it kind of gets chased as this like silver bullet. The reality is that there's there's a ton of people at Riot, data engineers, data scientists, and analysts that are looking through the data to understand like how players are playing the game. One of the things that I think Riot takes pride in is caring about balance a lot in its games. And so data helps balancing the game a lot. Uh, there's one one aspect of balance is you play the game and you know what feels good and bad because you play it. And the other part is you can look and see what things are good and bad objectively from statistics. And uh, it turns out that you kind of need both, most of the time, maybe even a little bit more of the data than the feeling sometimes. Um, and so things like that are the easiest kind of compare uh, like comparison point of what the value of data is. Uh, but there's some more nuanced stuff too around, well, clearly there's things like business reporting to understand like what what things make money and if things are good investments, but then there's also more interesting use cases uh, around like building models to predict what people might want to buy. And then offering up in League of Legends, there's a feature called Your Shop that happens every once in a while. And it's like a customized shop based on what you play and stuff like that gets powered by the data that's sent uh, from the game through our systems. There's maybe one, one other really cool, just just it came up at the end of the answer, but one other really cool thing that, that's being built on top of like data as a whole at Riot is uh, Valorant is the FPS that Riot is, is working on right now, and they are focusing a lot on anti-cheat being a really big part of that. And so the, the tooling that they're trying to build around that to be able to detect cheaters while a game is still running is also really cool. And that's maybe one of the more novel use cases of data that I've seen in, in video games at large. Um, like things like balance and, and personalized offers are things that maybe other games also do, but like anti-cheat at the scale of collecting data and trying to understand if a player's cheating, like during the game is pretty, is pretty cool. If you ask me.
0: That sounds like a really, really interesting system where, uh, you feed data in and then you use that to inform so many different other teams. Uh, what other teams do you work with and how do you work together? Well,
1: I mean, there's quite a few. Uh the, the model that we they work on is kind of this, um, this self-service way where our team builds a product and kind of offers it for other people to use, and there's a little bit less hands-on work when they're using it. And we kind of just offer, hey, if you want to send data, you can send it like this, and you can read it like this. And then we're kind of this black box, and they just put things in and get things out. And so that lets us scale really nicely with the number of people and, and applications that want to interact with our system. Um, that means that we maybe don't directly work with as many teams uh, as the team number of teams that actually use the system, but there's a few that we work with directly for some kind of special aggregated reports for like understanding how a player is playing the game or how much they're playing and things like that. And then with individual games, we'll often work with them for different functionality that they're interested in, in introducing or different constraints that they might have. Uh, things like Legends of Runeterra caring about um, a mobile client, which before, well, TFT Mobile is also a mobile game that we have now, but before Legends of Rutera kind of started playing with mobile, it wasn't a thing that Riot really did. So between them and TFT Mobile, there was a lot of like experimentation and and some special requirements that came up around collecting data that was different because we're on a, a mobile phone now. And there's still active work and the challenges around working on a mobile phone. Like you want to limit the amount of data you're sending because the battery matters a lot. Whereas, you know, when you're playing on a PC, you send as much as you want because the power is limitless, right? So, there's some kind of interesting stuff like that that comes from some of the interactions with some of the game teams.
0: Some fantastic technical challenges right there. Uh, what's <laughs> <Definitely>. the most <laughs> What's the most interesting technical challenge that you think you've faced so far, you or your team?
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Um, you know, that, I don't know. That's a that's a hard question to answer. Um, to, to pick like the most interesting uh, when when working as an engineer is kind of a constant slog of of pushing through problems, and most of them are interesting in a way. Um, I guess one of the things that kind of blows my mind is when you see like the scale of the systems that we run and it works. Like it feels kind of magical to see the numbers on the screen saying, here, all of the different pieces of the uh, system, and and this is how many you know servers are behind each piece. And here's some pretty graphs that are showing that like data is flowing through it, and and then someone's using it and it's working. Um, that's super cool. And when myself and I think my team too, when we get an opportunity to see a very direct impact that that has on like players, that feels really good because we're kind of this middle person between the the game like for the game teams to do. Things for the games, and so when we get to see the impact of that, we're 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 kind of behind the scenes most of the time. It feels really good to see that, and so that makes kind of the challenges a little bit more interesting in a sense. Um, although I suppose that's not a particularly interesting technical challenge as much as a like a, a payoff that is very interesting uh, from the challenges. Uh, in in general, though, that scale that scale makes pretty much every decision you make. Uh, way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, any decision that you're making when you're, you know, writing an application that runs on a single computer gets significantly more complex when you have to run it on lots of computers at the same time with any kind of like interaction between them. And so, I think that's what makes it so challenging to do anything on our system because at the face of it, the, the problem doesn't seem that hard. You're just trying to save some data and then read it later. Like we've been saving and reading data for 60 years why why do we need to spend so much time and, and effort on on doing it at, right now and the answer is mostly because of the, the amount of data that we have to collect interesting so you got uh, two you answers to... for the price of one there you got <laughs> why i think Fair it's one. interesting to work on the problems and what an interesting technical problem yeah. is
0: <laughs> so about technical decisions then uh can you think of uh, do you have any decisions in mind that your team made as a trade-off
1: <laughs> I can't give you one. Every that, that is my every single day. Like, maybe the thing that, you know, there's a lot of things that you, you hear or you read. Um, I mean, in school and and just, you know, trying to grow as an engineer at work, where you read it and you're like, well, that's so obvious. I knew that. But then maybe you actually don't have that behavior yet. And you slowly realize over time that, uh, I mean, I knew that, but that doesn't mean I was doing that. And so... One of the things that I have started to maybe be decent at is knowing that there is like there is no such thing as a good or a bad decision. There are just trade-offs. And you're just picking a decision that you think weighs more pros than cons versus the other options. Uh, and so uh, almost every single day we're making decisions where we have a particular implementation of, of some functionality and there's like three or four different ways to do it. They're all really good ways of doing it. And they would all work perfectly fine, but ultimately we have to pick one, and so it becomes looking at those trade-offs and making that decision, which, you know, when you do it that much, starts to become it, it becomes hard to pick a single example. Um, recently, I was thinking about uh, a, a good way to to handle this one application we have that that collects data within a data center and it puts it on its disk uh, and then sends it up to uh, AWS as the cloud provider we use. So it sends it kind of buffers things within a local data center and we were thinking about different ways that we might change some of the functionality for uh, uploading to the cloud maybe we we want to make it a little bit ro- more robust or this application is a little old so so we have some problems with the way that it it works and we want to make some changes to make it a little bit more sustainable for us to maintain and so even that 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 was a kind of interesting one to handle because on the face of it feels very simple but when you're working with something that's a little bit older you're you're trying very hard to understand why decisions were made when they were made while also weighing the decisions and constraints that while weighing the constraints for the decision that you're making right now uh, and and having the full story to make that call is kind of an interesting puzzle in and of itself usually as you start to do the work you know you pick okay this is the way I'm going to do it because those people they do nothing about anything and they did it totally wrong back in the day and then you start working on it and you realize that actually they knew what they were talking about. And this is why they did that thing. And here's the full story. So working through that document, um, I mean, not that it's always a document, the trade-offs are kind of in your head, but we documentation is a really good way to to get it somewhere that you can make sense of it all. Working on that was interesting because of that, because you're weighing pros and cons of a, a relatively simple problem that you can solve a lot of different ways. And there's some really good uh, synergies with you know other things that we maintain and ways that we like to uh, maintain our systems. You know maybe solutions that are that fit the style of the team, whether that's like programming language choice or a certain paradigm that we like to do, like streaming versus batch processing or things like that. Maybe high level ideas, while also weighing in these concerns of like a a system that is built a long time ago that we've maintained that is actually pretty good at doing what it does, and we want to make sure we don't lose that when we change it. Um, certainly not get worse, hopefully get better. And so that made that particular trade-off kind of interesting for me.
0: I find that learning about the history of how a system is designed and why it's designed that way can be incredibly daunting, especially to uh, someone new to the position, new to a project. And of course, you are learning all this from scratch while well, everyone just kind of has it in their heads. Um, but on the other hand, being younger and new to the project, I find can also add a different dimension. Uh, like do you think there's, yeah, yeah what, what do you think is something that, uh, someone younger to the team, uh, can bring to the team? What kind of viewpoints?
1: I, I mean, I think there's lots of viewpoints. It, it, it helps, you know, at a very space level just to have fresh perspective sometimes because you're not carrying assumptions and, and, uh, maybe, well, it's really it's mostly assumptions, but there's also bias that kind of gets built in when you have these assumptions for so long sometimes, um, I think the fresh perspective helps with that, but you also, um, you just, you're not, well, so some people, it's really hard to be on a team where you feel maybe comfortable sometimes solving these problems because you, you don't want to look dumb. You know, it's easy to feel scared to look dumb. I certainly have suffered from imposter syndrome for a lot of my career too. So I don't want to, I don't want to like dive into the idea that I might actually not deserve to work here and that I'm actually just really lucky and that they, they, they should fire me because I have no idea what I'm talking about. So when you think of a stupid question, you're like, ah, it's a stupid question. I'm not going to ask it. I'm not going to ask. You know. And then later on, you talk to someone and they were like, yeah, I had the same question. What the heck? I should have asked the question. I It was a good question and I just thought it was dumb. And so when you can get over that, which is not a trivial thing to do, but when you can get past that maybe initial uncertainty or worry, it helps a lot when your team is very supportive, then it becomes super valuable to have someone with a fresh perspective because they're not worried about asking stupid questions and they don't have the assumptions to guide their questioning. They'll ask kind of anything. And so that helps you suss out things that were decisions that were made that maybe no one understands why they were made and so we have to reevaluate them or double check our our assumptions. Uh, or it it you know points to really big flaws that no one was really paying attention to because honestly we've just been thinking about different things for the past few years and nobody really thought about that before. Uh, in while we were working on this problem, so that's a good idea, and so that kind of perspective I think is one of the most valuable things, like a new face or a you know junior developer can bring um, on on top of all the other things that that any developer brings to a team. You know, like the dynamic of the team changing around them and being like a, a, another voice in the room to make sure that the the process is the most like you know handles how can I say this to make sure that the uh, decision that's made. Takes into account as many perspectives as possible. You know, there's lots of value to having just more voices, it, but there's a kind of special part to being a new voice, perhaps. For those of
0: you who are interested in hearing more about imposter syndrome, uh, we had an episode a couple of weeks ago about imposter syndrome by Hilal Asmat, the current co-president of SAVU Surge. So go back and take a listen to that if you're interested.
1: What an excellent advertisement! <laughs> of course, got to make that plug. Spoken like a true professional. <laughs>
0: Speaking of imposter syndrome, I'm going to be honest, I really looked up to you when you were in university because you made all these applications, um you made these games, the game called Pac-Macro, um you went to hackathons with your team and then you won a hackathon and it just seemed so cool to me, so many things that you were making, so many things that you could envision that were interesting and cool and innovative and then you could put them into creation, right? So could you tell us a bit about what your undergrad experience was like?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think the, the undergrad experience was was a wild ride for a lot of reasons, but ultimately a really good one. Uh, I think the person that, that came out the end of, of my degree was a much different person than the one that went in. Uh, and I think that person was strictly better. Um, you know, that person was smarter. That person was a little more humble. That person maybe understood a little bit more about Uh, empathy and and being a a good teammate and and knowing what it takes to get work done and and a lot of good things so there were some definitely some challenges in undergrad uh, and I think one of them was maybe figuring out if I wanted to be in CS or in software systems you know maybe not I definitely lucky that I didn't have quite the same difficulty figuring out what I liked as as some other folks do um there was still a An amount of work going into, you know, as you kind of explore university for the first little bit and going through classes and learning what that level of difficulty is like and getting used to that uh, and, you know, starting to understand ideas that are a little bit bigger than yourself. And then being in a a place where you're working on or thinking about problems that are thought about and worked on by people that are like so much smarter than you. It's just not even funny, Um, both like people in school. As well as people in the industry where even as you're starting out you just see stuff other people are doing and are kind of incredulous at the ability like how can that person be that smart um that so i guess maybe that's the beginning of imposter syndrome really although i'm sure it was before that too uh i think that getting over some of that is something that i was i was lucky enough to do somewhat in in school kind of gaining my confidence for myself as i kind of Learned a better work ethic and was able to succeed a little bit on my own. Obviously, everyone that succeeds has lots of help, but uh, there's there's an amount of learning you have to do to get there too. And I think that that I was lucky enough to kind of pull that confidence up to to get to some places that I was really proud of. You know, you mentioned that like hackathons and, and winning a hackathon. I was super proud of some of those accomplishments, uh, and, and so a lot of them were kind of just like giving it a shot in a sense. A little bit less like, oh, I'm going in expecting that I should win or I shouldn't win or I can't or I will like just, well, let's just build something. What what's the worst that could happen? And then you build it and you win and you're like, oh, my God, that's pretty incredible, actually, uh, to think that I could be the one that like won this thing. Uh, and, you know, that manifests a lot of ways throughout. I think it did for me, at least throughout my my kind of school career where I looked up to a certain individual or, or place in someone's academic career, and then I would, you know, progress myself and get to a point where I was kind of like, wow, I'm actually really close to that, or I have achieved that thing that I didn't know I'd achieve. And so I think overall, my undergraduate experience was a ton of learning, uh, a lot of really good learning experience through software systems, which I love as a program for the focus that it has on like practical things. Uh, And then through doing the practical things and just living life and being with friends and going through the emotional turmoil of like academia being a hard thing to deal with and there's lots of work and there's lots of stress and all of that kind of bundled together ended up being something really positive for me on the other side um, which is really hard and and I think one thing I want to note is that for me, it was a good experience. And, and there was definitely a lot of help I had along the way to make it a good experience. But when it's not a good experience for someone, it's it's almost never because that person's doing a bad job. And almost always because sometimes it's just not, you can't play, make everyone play on the same field. Um, the amount of stress that school puts on someone is not fair. And so it does. If, if someone has a really hard time and someone has an easier time, I was lucky enough to not have that hard of a time, although there were definitely points in time that were particularly difficult. you know. It's, it was not because I'm some better person. Uh, it, was, it was because I happened to be equipped to deal with it in that instance. Um, one of the things that is maybe the hardest to, for, that was the hardest for me to understand is like, uh, maybe not to get too in the weeds on this, but the, the privilege that someone has when they're dealing with a problem and the idea that someone dealing with the same problem might not be in the same spot. And so you can't really compare the two reactions. Uh, and I I ended up being in a position of privilege for a lot of the problems, but that certainly doesn't make me a better student. Honestly, it probably makes me a, a worse person in that it, I had to do less to handle the problem, and so making sure that I was checking that and understanding that so I was empathetic to other people handling situations similar to my own or worse than my own in some cases is an important lesson that, you know, maybe I didn't even learn at SFU. Maybe it took me a little while after, but something that I've come to understand and value my experience because it let me understand what difficulty looks like and see in perspective what other people find that difficulty to look like. To be able to compare and contrast my experience with others is kind of what helped me get there.
0: I want to re-emphasize what you said earlier about how incredibly daunting it is for an undergraduate student, especially someone starting out in technology, seeing all these heroes, all these people accomplishing cool things and great things, and you know, going to the biggest companies in the world and feeling, you know, how could I ever possibly get there? Right? How are they so much farther than I am? Um, but Of course, as you said, there are equity problems, right? It's really important for us to emphasize with to uh, make sure everyone is on equal standing, to make sure that everyone uh, is working together to solve the problems, right? And that means sometimes understanding what other people are going through, hearing the difficulties and the struggles that they're facing. Um, And that just makes all of us better when we help everyone else. Um, For sure. One thing that I heard you mention earlier and that I, I think I've experienced a lot of myself is inspiration because there's a lot of that drive to getting better, to doing something that you had never tried before, to just trying it, right? You know, just saying, what could go wrong? I really want to try this, I'll see what happens. Not really necessarily aiming for first prize, but just to see what cool things you can create and just having the confidence to go for that. Did you have any particular inspirations, whether that was a particular person uh, or an organization, anything like that?
1: Definitely. I I mean, going back to your your point about it feeling like impossible to get to a place. There's all these crazy stuff happening and there's no way I'll ever be there. Uh, Not to I don't think that I am necessarily there. Uh, but to be closer to that, I'm starting to realize that it's kind of BS and that I'm just another person and everyone else working at Riot, for example, is just another person dealing with a bunch of similar problems and some very different problems, you know, working on some particularly cool engineering ones, maybe. But ultimately, the the gap that it feels like a student might have to someone who's in this field or in this job that they admire is, is sometimes a lot less than than one thinks. You know, that doesn't mean it's any less daunting, but the kind of, you realize as you climb the mountain, the reality sometimes. And uh, I I think that for me, video games and playing a game like League uh, when I was in school, I mean in high school originally and then throughout university, was a lot of the inspiration that I had for joining Riot in particular. But definitely a non-trivial amount of my interest in computers came from the fact that I liked playing video games. Uh, and so there was an aspect of some other companies like Google that I was always kind of, in awe of and wanted to to try to reach, and I was I've interviewed at Google a few times for things like internships and I was never successful. So there you go, everyone fails. But the the drive I think for me near the end of my kind of academic career was realizing that something like well maybe that I, not that I thought that video games wasn't worth pursuing or that there wasn't a career in that as a software developer, but kind of when I got the opportunity to work at Riot that kind of doubled down on my like passion for that and allowed me to kind of understand how important it was for me to have done um, or to have had the experience that I had. You know, it, I would not recommend playing 3,000 hours of League of Legends as practice for working at a Riot. But playing 3,000 hours of League of Legends helped me become, in some ways, a person that I am. And it gave me plenty of, of fun, uh, maybe some frustration too. And so it helps like guide my passion in that way, and it ended up paying off in a way where that passion was rewarded with, I, I, I suppose, with a job, but ultimately rewarded with working with a bunch of people that are similar to me and that they love games or they love that particular video game or they just love technology and want to be really passionate about it. And so I feel lucky for having that kind of almost guiding light in a sense. Uh, although, if I'm being honest, it was not as quite as obvious as a guiding light as much as I just really liked games and I cared about them a lot, and so I. Wanted to participate in them. A lot of that was playing them. Some of that was applying for companies that make them. Um, I just kind of let let that go, and and it ended up in a good place. I was lucky.
0: I'm curious. Do you actually have 3,000 hours in League of
1: Legends? I think I have more than that now, but uh, I did when I was in university. Yeah, most of that's, that's from high fantastic. school. Fantastic. <laughs> so I actually, uh, the... one of the per- one of the perks of working on the data team is that just the other day, actually, um, I was looking at. I was testing a query and to to test, I looked up the number of hours that I had played in League uh, because we keep track of that. So I got to see my own, my own information, uh, but I don't remember what the number was.
0: So for uh, any parents listening who say that their kids should stop playing video games, maybe let them play 3000 hours of League of Legends. Who knows? <laughs> 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 um, With that, I can't, I can't,
1: no guarantees on that, you know, that that, that's going to (laughs) work. No uh,
0: guarantees. Uh, Don't blame me. (laughs) Not a recommendation. Um, with that, I want to ask, do you have any final advice for current undergraduate students who are maybe going through the same experiences as you are, or are really looking up to
1: you and your career? I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of things that I've learned that I'd love to be able to share, but I don't think I'm wise enough to be able to distill them down for a, for a nice concise answer to your question. Uh, the reality is that I'm, I am spending a lot of time and energy and stress learning just as much now as I was in school, maybe more. Um, and the growth that I'm trying to pursue in my career and in just life in general is kind of something that I, I enjoy a lot. You know, it's that, that mindset of caring to grow myself is something that I've, for, for better or worse, I've been able to cultivate to some extent. And so I'm also just learning a lot of things. Um, and while maybe there's things that I've learned that are, are worth sharing, uh, there's no, I don't know if there's a lot of advice that you can throw out blanket. Here's one sentence. This is going to change your life. Sometimes it it's being in the right place in the right time and hearing the right thing. And sometimes it's having an experience that maybe you didn't want to have, but that ultimately was important to have. Um, there's a lot of learning opportunity though and, and ultimately I think the thing that I've been lucky enough to have work for me but that ultimately I, I also think people should not forget about is uh following you know not necessarily planning everything or thinking that something needs to be perfect but just uh, letting things go a little bit and following what they care about uh, not to be corny in that oh follow your dreams you can do whatever you like In the reality of things, you maybe can't do anything that you like, but you can almost certainly um, pursue a life that has meaning for you. Uh, and, And sometimes it becomes figuring out what things matter in life for you, you know? It's really easy to be in school and look at software engineering as a career and feel like you need to go do this thing by this time, And you need to, I mean, in in your case, you know, I need to graduate in this number of years or I need to get a job at this company. I'm not making fun of you, by the way. It's just these expectations we set for ourselves that are maybe not that meaningful at the end of the day. Um, Setting those expectations to the things that you actually want to care about is important. You know, maybe if you take six or seven years to finish your degree, but you made an incredible number of friends along the way, that was more important to you. It probably was. And it's probably more valuable than spending the one or two extra years at the very beginning of your career working at a company because you're going to be working for probably 40 more anyways. So how much did that two years matter at work versus, you know, making friends or having those experiences at university? So like kind of maybe even tying back to that whole thing of trade-offs is picking the things that you want, you care about and, and following those. Um, that's what I mean maybe by like the following your heart bit less than... Just, just running after whatever you think of as your heart caring about, um, because uh, unfortunately, that that doesn't end up working out so great all the time.
0: That was surprisingly inspirational. I want to reemphasize <laughs> the fact that I was I was worried that <laughs> it was going to be really
1: uninspirational, but it turned kind out of <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey things work out who knew maybe um, they do yeah <laughs>
0: i want to reemphasize the fact that you talked about learning and growing and how that's the reality of life and in technology and in our careers and that it's right for you to feel that way now it's right for you to feel that way in the future that's how it is let's keep going right so i want to end on that note Thank you for coming on the podcast, Alex. I really appreciate your time.
1: No problem. Thank uh, th- you for having thank me. Thank
0: you all for, of course. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we host uh, podcasts bi-weekly on Mondays. Tune in on Anchor or Spotify. We will see you guys later. Search Spotlight. Spotlight. We're, here We're here to talk, talk about things, things involving tech. tech.